Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Kyrie Irving has never been comfortable with what many would consider having it all. In high school, he was a 1,000-point scorer and a state champion before leaving for a greater challenge at a more prestigious school. In college, he had the arsenal of Duke University and coach Mike Krzyzewski in his corner before leaving after one year for the NBA. In the NBA, he was Rookie of the Year, and not long after that, after the return of transcendent superstar LeBron James, a Game 7 hero and NBA champion. But then he gave that up to start over yet again with the Boston Celtics. For Kyrie Irving, each one of those moments wasn't so much a milestone, but a stepping stone. Each one of those moments, the pinnacle for most athletes in that position, was a launching pad to the next challenge. It's an admirable drive, but it begs the question, what's enough? When will Kyrie Irving be able to finally sit back and enjoy what he has and not focus on what he doesn't? Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Jackie McMullen about what keeps Kyrie Irving searching for more. Now we present What is Kyrie Irving Chasing? by Jackie McMullen. What is Kyrie Irving Chasing? by Jackie McMullen. It's the first day of school, September 2008, and a teenager navigates the hallways of St. Patrick High School, alone, fending off a twinge of panic. He senses the sideways glances, he hears the whispers, he notes the blatant stares. For a fleeting moment, the 16-year-old considers, why did I do this? Why didn't I just leave well enough alone? He'd been content at Montclair Kimberly Academy, the Tony private school where he'd racked up 1,000 points over his freshman and sophomore years, leading the team to a New Jersey Prep B state title. Everybody knew the precocious point guard, the one so innovative with the ball that the faculty flocked to games to see what he would do next. The comfortable choice would have been to stay alongside his childhood friends from West Orange, the ones who'd been balling with him since fourth grade who engaged in epic games of 21 in each other's driveways. The ones who knew that their friend was different when a piece of his backboard ripped off and after hundreds of attempts, he mastered a new shot that accounted for the trajectory of the ball off the damaged corner. But during countless AAU tournaments when he spent his free moments studying elite players, he wondered how he measured up. There was only one way for Kyrie Irving to find out. So he transferred to St. Patrick, located in Elizabeth, about a half-hour drive south of Montclair. It was a national powerhouse program, coached by Kevin Boyle, who'd mentored NBA pros Al Harrington and Samuel D'Alembert. Now, as Irving wanders through a blur of faces in a maze of unfamiliar hallways, a boy in high tops and jeans struts toward him. Who are you? the boy asks. I don't know who you are. Irving doesn't respond. He knows exactly who this freshman is. It's Michael Kid Gilchrist, one of the top high school prospects in the country. Irving is all but unknown outside his prep school bubble. Still, Kid Gilchrist has been notified by Coach Boyle that this scrawny kid is hoping to join their team, and Kid Gilchrist feels compelled to size him up. A few weeks into the school year, Kid Gilchrist begins hearing stories that Irving is blowing past everyone in preseason pickup games and converting crazy finishes. I'm thinking, Kid Gilchrist says, 
Well, that's fine, but he can't score on me. The first day of practice, Kid Gilchrist heaves the ball at the bashful, taciturn newcomer and chortles with a half-smile, you and me, let's go. Over the course of the next ten minutes, Kid Gilchrist comes to understand. Irving lifts his head to snatch the ball, then reveals his ball-handling wizardry. He dribbles left, then right, then left again, with so much deftness it's as if the ball is on a string. He explodes forward, then glides back before launching a textbook jumper. Kid Gilchrist inches closer, but as he does, Irving zooms past him to the basket, lofting one-handed floaters and twisting layups. His new teammates are watching now. Congregating in a semicircle, as Kyrie blitzes the best player on one of the top high school teams in the country. Kid Gilchrist is stunned by the ferocity with which this seemingly reticent kid attacks not just the rim, but also him. He wasn't afraid, Kid Gilchrist says, of anybody. Irving and Kid Gilchrist went on to lead St. Patrick to a championship that season. A year later, Kyrie committed to Duke as one of the top point guards in the nation. His decision to switch high schools was the first time in his life that he revealed an insatiable thirst for new challenges, no matter how daunting or inexplicable. I had to show them I could play with them, Irving says. And, after a while, I had to show them I could dominate them. It's early December, a cold gray day in Boston, and Kyrie Irving sits on a bench at the Celtics' practice facility in Waltham, explaining how he came to the decision that it was time for him to get out of Cleveland. Leaving was inevitable, he says in his first extensive comments since the trade. I could feel it. For many, the swap from the Cavaliers to the Celtics last August was vexing. Irving was a champion on a contending franchise with a transcendent star, LeBron James. Who walks away from that? What they didn't know was Cleveland had explored trading Kyrie in June, long before he asked out, a fact conveniently omitted when word of his demand leaked. Irving made the decision to remain silent while the details of his request were, in his word, distorted. I didn't feel the need to say anything because I knew the truth, and so did they, he says, so it didn't matter what others said. Still, for a split second, Irving winces, as though someone has pricked him with a pin. They didn't want me there, he says. Seven days later in Cleveland, James has just put the finishing touches on a win over Atlanta, the Cavaliers' 15th victory in their past 16 games. He conveys through the Cleveland public relations staff that he has already addressed Irving's departure and will decline to answer questions regarding their relationship. Now, as he stands near his locker at Quicken Loans Arena, he's asked about Irving's contention that the Cavs didn't want him. That makes absolutely no sense, James declares. Asked to elaborate, James smiles politely, slings his bag over his shoulder, and exits the arena. There's a litany of Hall of Fame legends who never experienced the seminal moment they dreamed of their entire lives, a game-winning shot in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Kyrie Irving did it when he was 24 years old. He was five years into his professional career, playing against a 73-win Warriors team that had dispatched the Cavaliers one year earlier. He shot poorly early in the series, absorbing criticism that he was shrinking in the moment. But not on June 19, 2016.
It was Game 7 and a tie score with 53 seconds remaining. After an inbounds pass from LeBron, Kyrie held the ball, dribbling six times toward the right wing, where J.R. Smith set a screen on Clay Thompson, a stout defensive player, and that forced the smaller Steph Curry to switch onto Irving. Irving hesitated for a second, then stepped back and lofted a three-pointer over the outstretched arms of the league's reigning MVP. A shot Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert later declared the most important possession of our lives. It swished, and Cleveland's long, painful championship drought was history. Irving finished with 26 points and 6 rebounds. LeBron submitted a triple-double and was named Finals MVP. The two embraced at midcourt, the cornerstones of Cleveland's future. Nineteen months later, Irving is in Boston, and rumors are swirling that James could soon leave Cleveland, too. LeBron cornered the NBA notion that athletes should dictate their own destinies. Irving ripped that page out of James's book and implemented it accordingly. Together, over three years, the duo played in two All-Star games and three finals. They weren't particularly close, nor were they openly at odds. Teammates say LeBron's habit of referring to Irving as the kid and his little brother was eventually viewed by Irving as a subtle lack of respect. Another player, advised by the Cavaliers not to discuss Irving publicly, noted that LeBron also predicted Irving would be an MVP one day. Today, when asked if he feels that James viewed him as a basketball equal, Irving answers, I don't know if he did or not, but I don't really care. I didn't lose any sleep over it. Those close to Irving insist his leaving wasn't all about LeBron, and not one of them was surprised that Irving asked to move on from Cleveland. In 2015, Irving was named third-team All-NBA and had a right to believe it could be a recurring phenomenon. Instead, Damian Lillard, Thompson, and Kyle Lowry were chosen ahead of him in 2016. Last season, it was Isaiah Thomas, John Wall, and DeMar DeRozan. Playing with LeBron has its positives, Irving says, and it also comes with responsibilities. It was clear to me that we needed each other. Irving was the point guard in name, but LeBron often assumed his role as a ball-dominant point forward in crucial situations. It produced results. The team averaged 54 wins and went to three straight finals in their three seasons together. But Irving's teammates say there were times Kyrie felt marginalized, despite the fact that over the three years, he averaged nearly the same usage rate without LeBron, 29%, as he did with him, 28.6. Kai wasn't as happy last year, says one of his former teammates who talks with Irving regularly. He wasn't disruptive, just a little disconnected. Happiness comes and goes in the NBA, Cavs veteran Channing Fry says. Kyrie had every right to do what he wanted. I saw Kyrie high, I saw him low, Iman Schumpert said. He's seen me tear up a locker room. We're friends. You help each other through it. During a rare practice in the middle of last season, coach Tyron Liu, who was standing next to assistant coach and Irving confidant Phil Handy, called out to his young point guard. Kai, Liu said, I want you to play a little faster. Why? Irving asked. Because if we play faster, we get shots off easier. I don't need to play faster to get my shot off, Irving replied. I can do that any time. I'm not talking about your shot. 
I'm talking about R.J. and J.R., Lou said, citing teammates Richard Jefferson and Smith. Well, that's number 23's job, Irving replied, referring to James. According to members of the Cavs organization who witnessed the exchange, Lou ended the conversation by walking away, shaking his head. Both Lou and Handy, whom Irving affectionately calls his OG, confirmed the incident but declined to elaborate. Kyrie is a great player, Lou says. Please tell him I wish him the best. Irving, for his part, laments the fact that his conversation with Lou ended without a resolution. At that time, we had probably lost a few games, Irving says now. Lou is coming up to me and saying, we've got to play faster, and I probably wasn't willing to accept it at the time. So maybe I'd like a do-over on that. But those conversations go on every day in the NBA. In this case, instead of those things being addressed so you can move forward, it gets held on to, and it becomes a big thing. I was trying to figure out where I fit in, and at the same time, asking myself what's best for the team. Sometimes, I didn't know the answer. I had to figure it out on my own. It wasn't like I was getting answers from everyone else. When the 2016-17 season ended, Irving was making millions. He had his own shoe campaign. He'd been to the finals again. Yet something, he says now, was missing. Sometimes, in the search for the moment, you can get lost, Irving says. I want to be an all-star. Okay. I want to be MVP. Okay. I want to win a championship. I want to average this much. I want to be better than this person. I want the media to accept me this way. You start formulating all these false realities, and you realize that's not it at all. Once I separated myself from that, I started looking at things I wanted to do with my life that would make me happy. There's little in life that pleases Kyrie Irving more than ratcheting up the degree of difficulty. Consider that when he played for the Cavs, he would instruct Schumpert to ambush him in the layup line during pregame warm-ups. Instead of benignly rebounding the ball for him, Schumpert was to turn without warning and aggressively aim to block Irving's shot. That way, Schumpert says, Kyrie could practice suddenly changing angles on his finishes. Consider that in Irving's rookie season in Cleveland, Kyrie would hound teammate Ramon Sessions so doggedly as the veteran tried to bring the ball up court that Sessions finally handed the chore off to someone else, anyone else, rather than deal with the constant harassment. Consider that when asked to define Irving, Marcus Smart, his new Celtics teammate, offers this. Sometimes, when Kyrie goes to the basket, he makes it more difficult than it even has to be. That's how he pushes himself. Consider a game against Toronto in Irving's second season, with the Cavs down 98-96 with 12 seconds left. Coach Byron Scott called time and instructed the team in the huddle, clear out for Kyrie. A two-pointer would tie, a three would win. Irving brought the ball up the floor, feigned as though he were studying his options, then pulled up and drained a 28-footer over an astonished Allen Anderson for the win. Kyrie craved moments like that, Scott says. Now consider how Irving's role changed overnight when LeBron returned to Cleveland in 2014. James chose to rejoin the Cavs in part because he was intrigued by the gifted young point guard. But LeBron's presence created an unforeseen challenge for Irving. 
I had already been playing against him for three years, Irving says. Now I felt like I had to show not only him, but the rest of the team that I was able to play at the highest level. Then there was 2010, when Irving was debating whether to compete in a FIBA competition for the United States or Australia, where he was born while his father was playing basketball overseas. Whichever team Irving chose would cement his international status going forward. The safe choice was to play for Australia, as he'd be a shoe-in on the Olympic roster. At that time, Irving was only one of dozens of young U.S. hopefuls who had yet to prove their international medal. After consulting with Mike Krzyzewski, the U.S. Olympic coach and his college coach, Irving committed to the U.S. U-18 squad. By 2014, he was the MVP of the FIBA Basketball World Cup. And in 2016, he and Krzyzewski captured Olympic gold in Rio with Irving as Coach K's starting point guard. Challenges are what makes us most human, Irving says. Fighting off the fear of failure, showing people you are the best, that you've been preparing for this moment. Those are things that interest me. Ask Cavaliers players today, and most will say they harbor no ill will toward their former all-star point guard. Many still keep in touch with Irving, even though he has gone to their Eastern Conference rival. As Tristan Thompson explains, some things are bigger than basketball. That fondness does not extend to Dredrick Irving, Kyrie's father, who some Cavs officials feel planted seeds of his discontent with his son. He filled Kai's head with ideas that we didn't appreciate him, one team executive says. Dredrick Irving grew up in the Mitchell Housing Projects in the Bronx. A former basketball star at Boston University, Dredrick raised Kyrie and his sister Asia after their mother Elizabeth died when Kyrie was four years old. During Kyrie's early years in Cleveland, when there was turmoil and turnover, both on the roster and in the front office, Dredrick weighed in on moments he felt were harmful or unfair to his son. Since his son arrived in Boston, though, Dredrick has deliberately adopted a low profile. While I love Kyrie and I'm proud of him, he wrote in a text message to ESPN, I'm choosing to stay on the sidelines. His son chose to be proactive following Cleveland's loss to the Warriors in June, pushing for an exit interview to discuss his future. But GM David Griffin's contract expired on June 19, and he chose to move on. Cleveland then publicly flirted with Chauncey Billups for nearly two weeks before he withdrew his name on July 2. And it was another 22 days before the team finally named Kobe Altman its new GM. In the interim, owner Dan Gilbert, who has never given any of his general managers an extension, was the primary decision-maker for his team. In mid-June, shortly before Griffin left, team and league sources confirm the Cavs explored a three-way deal with Phoenix and Indiana that would have shipped Irving and Fry to the Suns and brought Eric Bledsoe and Paul George to Cleveland. The Suns resisted, unwilling to part with their number four pick, which they planned to use to draft Josh Jackson. No formal offer was made by any of the teams, but news of this potential transaction stung Irving, who, sources close to him say, became convinced that LeBron's camp, which also represents Bledsoe, orchestrated the trade talks. Team and league sources refute that, saying it was Griffin who initiated the trade talks with Phoenix. Griffin, who is close with Irving, sensed both his unhappiness and his restlessness and was preparing for the possibility that Irving would request a trade.
but once Griffin was no longer employed by the team, the conversation stalled. Cleveland then engaged in talks with Indiana and Denver, according to league sources. Perhaps it was, as Irving suggests, inevitable that he start searching for the next Zenith. As Scott says today, Kyrie is one of those players who gets bored after a couple of years. He's wired differently than most. He needs to be stimulated. He needs another adventure. Irving and his agent, Jeff Wexler, sat down with Gilbert on July 9 in the vault at Quicken Loans Arena. In the meeting, they pressed Gilbert, sources say, about the future of James. Gilbert, in turn, asked Irving for desired trade destinations, and Wexler rattled off San Antonio, New York, and Minnesota. Boston was not mentioned, but, league sources confirm, Gilbert later became keenly interested in securing the rights to Brooklyn's 2018 first-round pick, which the Celtics had acquired in the 2013 trade that sent Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Nets. When Gilbert, who declined to be interviewed for this story, was presented with the Celtics as a trade partner for Irving, he went to LeBron and tried to secure a pledge from his franchise player to remain beyond the 2017-18 season. James, team and league sources confirm, wouldn't commit. Boston was a promising young team with a storied history, valuable draft picks, and a highly regarded coach, Brad Stevens. It was, in many ways, the perfect scenario for Irving. But there's a misconception how this all went down, Irving says. I was traded to Boston. I had no say at all in where they sent me. There were no conversations like, okay, this is an opportunity we can pursue. It wasn't a recruitment process. After his meeting with Irving, Gilbert flew to Las Vegas for Summer League, Team sources confirm that Gilbert met with his management team, and shortly after that, details of his conversations with Irving and Wexler began to leak. I had a talk with Dan in the most professional way possible, Irving says. I expressed my feelings, and we had a genuine conversation about what was next. I thought there would be a sense of confidentiality on everyone's part. I'm not going to point fingers, even though I know fingers will get pointed anyway, but the way it happened was disappointing. It was hurtful how it spun out. It turned into a narrative where everyone got to have an opinion on why I should do this, why I should do that. I'm this. I'm that. I'm selfish. That's fine, because that's not reality. It was just a bunch of noise. Shashevsky argues that Irving's natural curiosity should not be mistaken for selfishness. People want to talk about all these facts as to why Kyrie did this. But it's not personal. It's not against anybody. It's just a young man at 25 saying, I know I can do more, and I'm not afraid to see, Shashevsky says. Not many people would do it. I love the fact Kyrie did. It is late October, and Celtics guard Terry Rozier lies prone on the table in the team's training room, his eyes closed, his body slack. A physical therapist massages Rozier's back, kneading out the knots from a road game one night earlier in Milwaukee. Rosier hears a rustling noise, but he's too relaxed to pick up his head, until his masseuse begins karate-chopping his spine in a manner that feels a little unusual. Rosier pops up, turns around, and explodes with laughter when he discovers that Irving, his eyes dancing, has somehow become his fill-in therapist. Months earlier, shortly before Irving's trade was completed, he flew to Boston, took a physical, and stuffed the Celtics shorts he wore into his bag. 
when the trade was announced on August 22, Kyrie says he put those shorts on and literally skipped through his house. Rosier says Irving told him he hasn't had this much fun playing basketball in years. Irving feels less constrained, he says, more appreciated. I think he had lost some of himself in Cleveland, Rosier says. Shashevsky says Irving's more gregarious personality is consistent with the role he's being asked to play in Boston. The Celtics need him to be a more vocal leader for young players such as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. With LeBron in Cleveland, they didn't really need him to do that, Shashevsky says. Celtics boss Danny Ainge, for his part, likens Irving to Larry Bird, who, depending on the situation, could be introverted or extroverted. Bird diverted attention if he felt too suffocated by the adulation, but he also embraced the limelight when the game was on the line and the ball was in his hands. Those are threads Larry and Kyrie share, Ainge says. Bird was a bare-knuckles leader who didn't spare feelings. Irving, Ainge says, is still growing into his leadership role. When he got here, we talked about all the good things and not-so-good things Kyrie has done, who he wants to emulate, how he wants to be different than he was as a young player, Ainge says. Irving arrived in Boston with a renewed enthusiasm, yet that euphoria was challenged 315 seconds into Boston's season opener in Cleveland. It was then that a gruesome injury to Gordon Hayward, who signed with Boston as a free agent in July, left Irving fighting back tears. I was upset because I threw that pass, Irving says of the play that likely cost Hayward his season. It was crowded up there. D. Wade was on the backside. LeBron came over to help. Gordon jumped without seeing where he was landing. I wish I hadn't thrown it. I felt really bad about it. Hayward's injury drastically altered expectations and has made Irving's job infinitely more difficult, with teams forcing him to the sideline or into traps to pry the ball out of his hands. Still, Kyrie has posted career highs in usage rate, field goal percentage, and defensive efficiency. There's been no negative selfish energy, Smart says. None of, oh, this dude wants to do it all himself. He's been all about team here. Indeed, after a particularly galling loss to Utah on December 15, a game pocked by poor shot selection and defensive breakdowns, Irving, who missed 14 of his 25 shots in the game, calmly reminded his teammates and his coach that it's a long NBA season. He doesn't seem to, and this is something I've appreciated about him, ride that roller coaster, Stevens says. I would guess that would be really difficult to avoid when all eyes are on you all the time. When Kyrie Irving was in the fourth grade, he wrote his life's goal on a piece of paper with the absurd clarity only a ten-year-old can muster, play in the NBA. That goal has been achieved. His next one, though, is in revision as he maneuvers the new challenges he created for himself. He's already beloved in Boston. Chants of MVP routinely waft through the TD Garden rafters. Spurned Cavs fans are tempted to caution, buyer beware. If you are always searching for the next thing, they say, how can you ever find what you're looking for? I'm happy, Irving insists. I'm taking full advantage of this learning experience, of being with this new group, this franchise. This is a long process, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. At times throughout your career, you take things for granted. I'm realizing as long as you take advantage of moments with great people you can learn from and then apply those to your life going forward, that's where fulfillment comes in.
Irving says he has never considered how it might have all been different had he stayed at Montclair Kimberley, where he could well have scored 2,000 points or won another championship or enjoyed the comforts of lifelong friends. It would have been easier. But easier has never been Kyrie Irving's thing. His search for greatness continues, however he defines it and wherever he seeks it. As always, a fantastic feature by Jackie McMullen. Now joining us from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is Jackie McMullen. Jackie, welcome. Well, thank you. Good afternoon. How's everybody doing there today? Everyone is fantastic. Always a good total bias alert to read an excellent story about the Boston Celtics. <laughs> like that. But here's my uh, my first thought that I had when all this went down. Like More objective journalist had on and than a fan of any team in any direction. I was always fascinated by the fan reaction to things. And by this, I mean, how I found it very interesting that how Kyrie Irving can basically be called ungrateful for wanting to leave LeBron James and sort of right. do his own thing. Yet very recently, Kevin Durant is called a traitor or coward or worse on social media for wanting to join Steph Curry. Right. That's a good point. So how do those sort of marry up, in your opinion, and is there one that's worse than the other, or is it just people need to realize this is a business and these are individuals? But see, you're talking about fans. So fans, it's pretty simple. You're either with us or you're against us, (laughs) and that's how most of them feel. In fact, some players feel that way. I mean, I remember when Ray Allen left the Celtics. Um, You know, They won a championship together, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. And then he left the following year, you know, when he became a free agent, um, not the following year, a couple of years after that, but when he had a chance to be a free agent, he went to the arch enemy. He went to Miami and, 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 you know, Kevin Garnett to this day, Ray Allen's dead to him. But, yeah. you know, I used to say to KG, how does that work? Because the Celtics almost traded Ray Allen twice while he was wearing a Celtics uniform. So why is it that the team doesn't need to show the loyalty, but the player must? So that, that made, it's never made any sense to me. Uh, But I do think it's interesting. I was looking at the all-star voting. The all-star voting, the initial voting, came out right after this story ran. And Kyrie Irving was number one among all the guards in the East. Mm -hmm. And the question I would ask everybody from Cleveland is, if he was still on the Cavaliers with LeBron, does anyone believe that would be the case? And I think the answer is no. So, now, that's not necessarily what should matter first and foremost. I get that. But there is something to be said for getting out from the large shadow of a very, very talented player who you did win a championship with, and you, you know, nothing's going to ever change that. So it's a very interesting thing. By the way, LeBron James is the one that invented player empowerment. He invented it. Yeah, we've uh, seen that YouTube clip a little bit with the, uh, the raising of all the heat in their uh, announcement when they were all introduced to the greater Miami area. Mm-hmm. That was, That's uh, right. But He's the one that invented this. So, you know, and I think LeBron has handled this very, very well. As I think Kyrie and LeBron have both handled this very well. And, you know, there might LeBron might have been stung when it first happened and some of the things that came out, but mm-hmm. he's moving on. He's like, he's, you know, he feels good enough in his own abilities to say, well, all right, Kyrie, you don't want to play with me? That's fine. Now you're against me. I'm going to take IT, and he's my guy now. That's just how it works. So... In your piece, you mentioned how um, there's a, a moment there 
where Kyrie Irving says he doesn't really lose sleep over LeBron James ever considering that they were basketball equals mm-hmm. or if not. But is that – did you get the feel that that's really not how he would ever measure himself? Is it more a personal legacy than accolades? Even though if you achieve what he would want to achieve in a personal legacy, the accolades are going to come with it. But sure. it's more the priority being this is my personal legacy and everything else is noise. I'll take it, but everything else is kind of noise. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I think there's some truth to that. But I do think at one point – I don't think Harry Irving cares what LeBron thinks anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a time when he did care. And I think – had um, LeBron given him a little more ownership of what was going on in Cleveland, maybe we don't get to this point. I can't say for sure that's the case, but sure. I think that it would have gone a long way instead of always being the little brother and the, you know, the sidekick. Um, you know, LeBron reminds me of Jordan in, in one regard, in that it's it. You know, Le- in LeBron's mind, and you know, fairly, you could make a, a fair a fair um, argument for this that it's him and everybody else. And mm-hmm. that's really how Michael always saw it, too. Right. And uh, I think that was a little untenable for Kyrie, who's obviously a very talented player, who has all sorts of um, potential, uh, and is now in the peak of his career. Now, you um, you mentioned also in the, another piece I wanted to, another part of your piece I wanted to talk about real quick was how you meant uh, there was that really not very widely reported, once everything picked up about him wanting to leave, about that early June trade possibility that the Cavs have floated right. out there. And knowing that, as everyone knows, the sway that LeBron James does have with the Cavs is when when Kyrie says that, hey, listen, I they pretty much – they didn't want me. Like I, mm-hmm. I know I wanted to leave, but they didn't want me. By saying they, like there's also a LeBron hook to that too because just – and I know he's LeBron, LeBron's just a player, but there's no way that you could argue that they would ever sort of float the idea out there that Kyrie Irving would be leaving town without even consulting him. Well, so I think you're right when you talk about they didn't want me, that that includes LeBron. That's definitely how Kyrie was thinking. And I think your premise is also good in terms of making a big move like uh, trading Kyrie Irving. But uh, here's where I part company with you. I do think... And I, I think this is how it happened. I do believe that GM David Griffin, who was the GM at the, in, in the early June when, these, when he uh, started exploring the possibility of what Kyrie Irving would bring if they were to trade him. Now, I, I think he, the reason he did that was because uh, Kyrie's agent, Jeff Wexler, kept saying to David Griffin, we want an exit interview. You know, the season's ended. We, we want an exit. We want to talk about the future here. We, we want a meeting. Well, they didn't have that meeting because David Griffin wasn't sure if he was coming back or not. There was no point in Irving meeting with someone who may or may not be there. But Mm -hmm. I think what David Griffin probably gleaned from that was, you know what? I think Kyrie Irving might be asking for a trade here. Maybe that's what's coming up. I better explore and see what we could get for him if, in fact, that were the case. Uh-huh. Now, that doesn't mean that they were going to trade Kyrie Irving. They were never, there was never an actual you know, deal on the table, take it or leave it, this is what's going to happen. It didn't get that far. Uh, and had it gotten that far, you're right, I'm sure LeBron would have been patched in. However, if LeBron isn't going to stay or isn't committing to staying beyond this season, which mm-hmm. um, we found out was the case, I mean, how much are you really going to listen to him? That makes yeah. That's a good point. How much though, with also all those factors, with the GM, the tenuous GM situation, LeBron's commitment. How much mm-hmm. was it with the day to day dealings with uh, did Coach Lou 
did Kyrie Irving kind of sour on him or was it more like it didn't really matter what was going on? I just wanted to do my own thing. I think their relationship did suffer a little bit near the end. Uh, and I, I, I think Ty Lue gets a little bit of a bad rap on that. Mm-hmm. I think when you get to the point that Kyrie did where you just start thinking, you know what, these guys, they don't care about me. They don't want me here. Um, and I think you start lumping everybody into that group. And I mean, Ty Lue's a smart guy. And you don't ever want to trade someone with the caliber of, of the, the, the abilities of Kyrie Irving. And, and I don't believe for a second that Ty Lue wanted Kyrie out of there. I just don't believe that. And I don't think it's true. And uh, he's said as much publicly. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, their their communication suffered a little bit. There was an exchange that you, you see in the piece there um, about the two of them in practice one day. But that stuff happens all the time. Sure. Uh, those things are easily fixable. I think um, for Kyrie... What that, you know, with his state of mind being what it was, I think from that point on, I think he was waiting for Ty Lue to come back to him and say, hey, let's work this through. And that didn't happen. And I bet if he could do it over, Ty would probably change that. Uh, And I think if Kyrie could do it over, he'd probably have a different response um, to the exchange of, hey, we need you to play a little faster and why? Well, we need to get, you know, that we can get our shot off a little better. Well, I can get my shot off whenever I want. Well, we're not talking about you. We're talking about your teammates, J.R. and um, Smith and Richard Jefferson. And, you know, his response is, well, that's 23's job. So I thought that was somewhat of a telling anecdote. <laughs> yes. And I think if uh, both the coach and the player could have a do-over, they probably would. Now, looking forward to his time with the Celtics, uh, you've covered many championship teams. And it seems that those team, all those teams to work out, it's like a puzzle. I mean, like sort of like a band, mm-hmm. like, you know, not everyone can be the lead singer. Right. Do you feel that, uh, that what they're building in Boston is something that they have that? And this is where, I mean, almost you could argue that the, you know, the making lemonade out of lemons, that the Gordon Haywood injury could sort of be looked upon. The positive side is, Kyrie Irving gets a full year of, like, I am the man. So there's really no Mm -hmm. alpha dog battle, as well as his ability to nurture Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. But it's, like, do you feel that the chemistry there is something that is sustainable for the future? Because we've seen, like, many times, like, with Pippen and Barkley, when they went to the Rocket, all these teams that tried to be created through the years, or when Karl Malone went to the Lakers— very often times it doesn't the chemistry doesn't work and therefore the results are very clear because they just don't right. win. I, I think this is very different than the, those situations though because um, Gordon Hayward is also approaching the prime of his career. So this isn't a case where Barkley at the end of his career is is chasing a ring to some degree. Karl Malone, same thing, chasing right. a ring with the Lakers at the end of his career, past his prime. In both of those cases, those players were past their prime. Sure. I'll tell you this. I think. This is the best thing for Gordon Hayward. It's the best thing for Al Horford. Kyrie Irving wants the pressure. He wants to be the man. And I don't think Al Horford ever has wanted that. And I'm not convinced that Gordon Hayward has ever wanted that. So I think it's going to work out beautifully. I will tell you, I talked to Kyrie at length. Um, There's a little bit of it in the piece, but not a lot of it. At Mm -hmm. length about how great it was for him to play with Gordon Hayward and how much they helped each other and took the pressure off each other and how excited he is to get back on the court with him and how it's going to help them both so much and make both of their jobs that much easier. Uh, because, you know, Gordon Hayward's one of the most efficient players in the league. Mm-hmm. And all these double teams and traps that you see um, thrown at Kyrie, 
it's going to be a lot harder to do that when Gordon's on the floor and, and being that efficient offensive player. And by the way, a very underrated defensive player too. So I think this makes a ton of sense. I think it's going to work. Uh, I think Kyrie is the guy that's thrown his head in the ring saying, I am the alpha. You know, mm-hmm. I look back at, at, at Pierce, Garnett, and Ray Allen, one of the more unique championships I've ever covered yep. because Kevin Garnett was the leader, probably off the floor, if you will, right. um, you know, set a culture there, set a mindset there that, that didn't exist before. And yet Paul Pierce was the guy that wanted the ball at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Kevin Garnett was a reluctant scorer. He was an, he's a Hall of Fame reluctant scorer, but he really wasn't um, the alpha in that terms. He was more an alpha on the defensive end. So I think you're going to have um, a similar situation here. Al Horford's died and gone to heaven. Nobody's dissecting his every move anymore, which is good for him because he's a great player, but he's a subtle player. And the things he does um, don't scream out in the box score necessarily. In fact, there was a game last week. The best play he made all night was a a hockey assist. It was the first assist. You know, he made an amazing pass, and then there was a second pass, so the other player got the assist. But Mm -hmm. it was was incredible, and it didn't show up anywhere in the box score. That's the kind of stuff Al Horford does. So he's more than happy to let Kyrie handle all the – the pressure and, and by the way, Kyrie lives for it, so it works. And so yeah, and so basically, and I know like with those guys at the end of their career, and but part of it also, the point of all of it was like the chemistry. So you feel like the chemistry is definitely there because everyone, it seems that everyone is willing to play the role that the everyone else isn't willing to play in a way. Right, I think that's right. And you know they had a very short time together. So mm-hmm. it's a, it certainly is a small sample size, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the preseason, when they were together, I think they were all pretty excited what could happen. Now, the one silver lining, and you know, you never want to look at anything positive over such a gruesome injury that Hayward had, but the one thing right. that has happened is that Jason Tatum's played a, quite a bit more than he would have. Now, he would have played a lot anyway because he's terrific, sure. but both he and Jalen Brown got uh, significant minutes that they otherwise would not have had. Now, Sometimes, you know, you always hear at the end of a game where, like, a tight NFL game, oh, no, the team scored too soon. They left too much time on right, the clock. Right. Do you feel if – I know how hard it is to win the NBA, but if the Celtics manage to win another title pretty quickly in the Kyrie Irving ever, would this be something that – do you find that in your interaction with him that he would get restless again? Or is – because it seems that every time he achieves something that's almost the pinnacle of what he can do – like he like what's next? What's more? Right. Yeah, and that's 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 sort of the whole. You've got you've, we've now hit on the essence of the piece, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is the uh, million multi million dollar question, <laughs> I guess I would say. Yep. But but in talking with Kyrie, I think one of the things that he said, and you know, not everything makes it into the story, right? We have a limit of how many lines we can write. Right. But one of the things he talked to me about was. He was very close with Phil Handy in Cleveland, who's a mm-hmm. longtime you know, assistant coach there, and um, he calls him his OG. And, you know, Phil was great at telling him the truth sometimes that he didn't want to hear and also, you know, being there for him as a confidant. And, uh, and I think if you ask Kyrie, while he had good relationships with a lot of his teammates in Cleveland, he's looking for those kind of lifelong, meaningful relationships um, that transcend basketball. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he had enough of them in Cleveland for his taste. And I was asking Channing Fry about that. So Channing Fry, everybody loves Channing Fry, including Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving. 
And Channing Fry said, well, you know, I really like Kyrie, and we got along great, but, I mean, he's 25 years old. I'm in my 30s, and we don't have a lot in common, <laughs> you know. And if you look at that roster, it's a pretty older roster. He was he had a close relationship with Amon Shumpert, and I'm not saying he didn't have friends on that team, sure. but I think he's looking for something a little deeper off the court as mm-hmm. much as on the court. And so if he's able to develop those relationships with these players in Boston – and getting something more meaningful out of it. Because I think, I think one of the things he's come to realize is like, okay, good, I hit a game-winning shot in the championship. Yeah. I should feel a little more fulfilled than I do. Right. Um, maybe this need, maybe these, these artificial realities, as he called them, um, oh, okay. maybe I should be looking for something different. Now, so going a little bit further with that, I know because he is now not on his original team, his third contract, so he's given up – he actually did sacrifice, If for those who – the capologists out there, he did sacrifice something by leave – in addition by leaving Cleveland is he gave up his right to a Supermax contract. Right. By being right. on his – a different team for his third contract. And mm-hmm. he signed through 2020 and he's still going to be, be very well paid. But right. um But you I know what's interesting about that, Mike? What's that? Is that um, – so the Supermax contract, as you know, uh, some of it is tied to being on the all-NBA team and all mm-hmm. that. You know, and Kyrie Irving was a third team all NBA player in 2015. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to hit the game winning game seven shot in the NBA finals in 2016, Mm -hmm. had career highs in numbers the following season and didn't appear on any of those all NBA teams. Now, let's go back to what you were saying about those all star ballots. Right. So, I mean, so maybe even if he had stayed in Cleveland, the Supermax would never have been available to him anyway. Right. That's a good point. But so, how do you how do you see like the best case, or the or, or the worst case, or the likely scenario of how all this plays out with his time in Boston? I mean, is this the is I mean, I guess the big question in the essence of the piece is is the Boston Celtics win, lose or not? Is this just another stepping stone? It doesn't feel that way to me, mm-hmm. but I I can't look into the future. I, I think there's some differences. I think number one. Um, he understands the history of the game. This is a, you know, a storied franchise that has a great history. I think he really likes the idea of being part of it. Number two, you can't possibly undersell the value of Brad Stevens and how much Kyrie Irving respects him. Uh, he really does. And not to say that he didn't like and respect Ty Lue, but I think Brad Stevens, in, in his mind, has brought, you know, he, he's... I, I did a story on Brad Stevens two or three years ago, mm-hmm. and my one of my the primary people I interviewed was in fact Kyrie Irving, because <laughs> I had heard this story about them during the playoffs when they were up three to nothing against a very you know inexperienced Boston Celtics team that just barely squeaked into the playoffs, and they were all out to dinner in Boston you know before Game Four, and there were other games on TV, and someone made the mistake of saying, oh yeah maybe we'll play them next, and Kyrie bit their heads off and said, look we're dealing with an unbelievable coach here. And I know it's three to nothing, but that guy, he, 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 he does better, you know, he slows us down better than anybody else in the league. We better not start looking ahead. We're up against a very formidable opponent. So I think, I think Brad Stevens is, is a big part of this as well. So, I, I mean, it's all, it's all set up to be a place where Kyrie Irving can be really happy. This is also where his father came of age as a basketball player. He was a great mm-hmm. star at BU. Yep. I actually covered his father, believe it or not. That's how long <laughs> I've been around. I'm an OG myself, I guess. So um, uh, so it's all lined up. I mean, I think Kyrie Irving, who didn't have any say, remember now, he was traded, had right. no say in where he was going, 
I think it's pretty safe to say he's hit a grand slam home run in terms of it lining up just the way you would hope. A young team that still has draft picks coming to them, possibly the Lakers pick this year if it lands two through five. Young players on the rise. The only, the only one that you worry about, like will he be here if they're going to win a championship and they want to win one or more championships, is Al Horford because he's the only one that's getting a little older. But the rest of them are, are young, not even approaching their prime or right in their prime. Well, that all sounds uh, uh, the Eastern Conference better beware for the Brad Stevens and company. I would say maybe not this year, but you know, in the next couple of years, I think they're going to they're they're set up as well as anybody needs. Now, to your point, is that enough for Kyrie Irving? We'll have to wait and see. I really don't know. I kind of think it is. Well, but who knows? We'll hope it is. But uh, Jackie McMullen, thank you so much for sharing your NBA expertise with us. Jackie won't say this. I'll say this: your NBA Hall of Fame, basketball Hall of Fame expertise with us. Aren't you nice? Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.